being future ready, it's a powerful feeling. Like getting nothing but green lights on the Friday commute home. Now we're moving. Feel powerful about your future. Talk to a financial broker about a pension powered by Zurich. Or visit zurich.ie. Zurich Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport, or visit the home of the Titanic. Adventure awaits. And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. Mike Murphy here welcoming you to the first Senior Times series of podcasts. Over the course of the next months, it'll be my pleasure to interview and chat to some of Ireland's most prominent and interesting people. We'll also be hearing from experts on pensions, health, financial planning and mindfulness. Thanks to our sponsors, Zurich Expressway, Doro and the Sports Surgery Clinic. Our guest today on our Senior Times podcast, and I'm delighted to welcome her, is a senator, academic, broadcaster and lecturer, Mary Louise O'Donnell. Um, I'd like to start off with the senatorial aspect. It's terribly impressive. I'm almost overcome, you know, with the <laughs> honour of speaking to an actual senator. It really is a fantastic achievement for me at this stage of my life to meet a real senator. What do you actually do as a senator? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, it's a very good question. Do you know, I, I, when I was asked, I was invited to be a senator by Enda Kenny in 2011. I was so taken aback, I could hardly breathe. But I was also taken aback in the back of my head, thinking, hey, do. <laughs> no. Because in all my life, you know, I never stopped outside the gates of, of Leinster House and said, I wonder what's going on in there today, especially in the upper house. Nor well, did you ever say, I am hoping one day to be in there, I'm correct. sure. Or I would have found a route to it. Um, There's 60 senators and I was one of 11 of what they call the Taoiseach's nominees. And to be fair, he took them from education, he took them from sport, the arts, business. And I was one from education because I had been lecturing for, from the Jurassic Park era, you know. um, So he thought probably that I had made some contribution to... But you were also from County Mayo. I mean, here we are now. Is this the jobs for the boys or the girls well, and all that? Gosh, no, no, that was, it was co- co- uh, completely coincidental. Anyway, go on. That yeah. was coincidental. I was born in Foxford in Mayo because my father worked for the Foxford Woolen Mills, which was very famous. We all had a Foxford rug, Foxford blanket. And all my family had been in that area. And I was born there. And we, we spent, then we came to Dublin, but we spent an awful lot of time in the West with my grandmother. And so I had a huge Mayo connection because many of my cousins and aunts and uncles were all from the town. And of course, they didn't emigrate. So many of the people I grew up with, because Foxford without the Foxford Woolen Mills would have been a place that you would have run yeah. out of. There were no, no jobs. So um, for a hundred years, that mill was alive from 1890 yes. right through up to the, in the 80s and the 90s. And it's back alive again. I'm looking forward to talking to you about it in more yeah. detail, actually. But go back to being a senator. Yes. Right. 
So I had, no, uh, yes, so he appointed me. I had been working out in DCU and trying to develop arts on the campus on a very young university campus. And I used to drag people out and, you know, to speak and artists and musicians and writers. And I said to the first president there, Danny O'Hare at the time, if you want to be a university, we would have to have a cultural and artistic and a musical tradition. We, we just can't be an NIHE that becomes a university. There's a lot more to it than that. And I and maybe I used to drag Enda out. He was in politics, get politicians out, and I would get guests, and I would... And I, when I say drag them out, because there wasn't the M50, you know, I was really pulling them across to the number 11 bus right <laughs> up through Drumcondra and up into, into Ballymun, into a kind of a world that a lot of people wouldn't have known about because it was a very disadvantaged world, yeah. uh, the university where it was at the time. So I had a connection and I also had a humour connection with Enda because he used to, he was around my own age and he was from Mayo and he was full of life and he was full of joy and fun. And, and he was building the party back up. And so when I got the phone call, I would like you to become a senator. So I nearly physically fell down. <laughs> I did find out, though, seriously, that it's the upper legislative house and it does do all the legislation. Every legislation that is passed in the Dáil has to come through the Senate. And much legislation begins in the Senate and then goes down to the Dáil. So when people try to close it down, which he did, they were very wrong because you always need a second check on what's going on. You just can't have people roaring off in one direction. You need mm. people to counteract argument, to add and subtract and elongate. And it's not that easy, you know. And it's also people who are often outside politics. I mean, oh, yes. unfortunately, I, uh, there, there is a reputation of failed politicians get kicked up to the Senate as a thanks very much. I mean, that, that that's... Yes, or younger a, a politicians come in to train there. Exactly. Um, but does legislation actually get stopped when it gets to oh, the Senate? Oh, yes, it does. does. It? You, you do depend, though, that, that, that politicians will get the, the between them and the, and the, and the, the permanent civil service, you know, mm. the permanent government, will get the legislation right. And But I've seen legislation be stopped. I've seen it be elongated, changed. I've seen ministers have to go back. Most recent one would have been the adoption legislation, which actually um, the minister had to actually stop in its tracks because the Senate said we are not adhering to this. This is not happening. It's about information, for the right of information for, for, for uh, adoptees. Mm. So uh, that's very convoluted for, to, for this discussion, but uh, legislation does get stopped. Um, the, 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 the independent senators are, uh, not because I was one of them or the, the chosen ones, they don't come with the pathology of a territory. You know, they're not coming with Fine Gael, Fine Fall. Yeah. They're coming with, hopefully, business or education, as you say, outside politics. Yeah. Um, but they're coming with something a little cleaner. Mm. They're not attached in any way, even tentatively, to an idea or an ism. By a coincidence, I happened to meet Enda and have a long chat with him last night. I was at a function and he was there. And uh, he, I told him I was meeting you and he finds you one of the most amusing and interesting women in the country. And he said... <laughs> And uh, he said, did you ever hear her doing the accents? He heard you doing the accents. Now, have I got this right? About a bus trip you took from Belfast to Derry. Uh -huh. Am I right about You're that? You're right about that. I and didn't that you see did it. the accents as 
of the areas you went through. Yes, it was a most interesting <clears throat> bus trip. It was from Belfast right across to Coleraine into Derry. And it's one of the most beautiful visual trips because you're going past the sea and the sea is appearing like an enormous big wave. And then you're in the darkness of the tunnel. It's really quite interesting. But there was a fellow sitting beside me and his name was Yul Robinson. And Yul yeah. Robinson, I from Ballymena. Bally money, bally mina, up that area. And Mr. Yule Robinson, I didn't really believe in unification. Wasn't into unification. <laughs> and I said, why not you? Well, he says, I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it from the health point of view. He says, by the time I got to the x-ray machine, I'd be bankrupt. <laughs> he, was, he was a wonderful fellow. He'd been all over the world and he was a farmer, small and wiry, with dyed hair. You know men who dyed their hair in their late 50s? You know I'm onto something here. <laughs> that sense of yeah. youth. But he was so definite and so honest. And my mother, who's now 97 and still alive, she was from Newry born and bred in Uri, educated here in uh, Eccles Street in the South. But she used to always say, the Northerners are the most honest. That the Southerners, in her experience, had a tendency to play around a little with the truth and add and subtract to it. But the Northerners would be very honest. And that's what I remember about our Yule Robinson, um, his honesty about what was going on in the world and the unification. And it wasn't very far out like the stars. No unification. <laughs> Goodbye now, he says, miss. <laughs> he was getting off the train into the wind. So is that, that might have been what Enda was I, talking I'm about. I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned your mother there. Yeah. And um, your mother, Maura Cranny. Maura Cranny. And Maura uh, was one of the best speech and drama, mm-hmm. best-known speech and drama teachers in the country. Would I be right? You would be. And, you know, the more I see her ageing at 97, the more I 97. see... 97. this enormous career. Uh, she was educated in Echo Street and then, and then was educated in the Guildhall in London and came back. And she was really a speech and drama teacher of a different calibre. And I'm sure there may be a lot of people listening to this podcast, you know, in their 70s and 80s who she taught because she was teaching in her early 20s. And she taught people, she did opera, choral verse, musicals, plays, drama, poetry, orality, voice, public speaking. She never, it wasn't about accent and stylization. It was about the ability to express yourself and do it well. And we were, from the time we were five, at the Father Matthew Fish, with duologues and dialogues and Oscar Wilde and poetry and in plays and our whole sense of expression. She was a world of expression, uh, of vocal and oral expression and quite brilliant and taught everybody from high court judges to, to, disadvantage, to the disadvantage, from opera to the little poem. She was really, she saw no difference. She, she taught Milton to nine-year-olds. She never thought there was any kind of barrier to the, the capacity for the young mind to take in something or for, for, for the young mind to be taught and elevated. She was really quite something. And I kind of grew up with that. And I thought that's the way life was. Now, she never in her life put down the fire, made the tea, made a bed, cooked a meal, 
She never did anything like that. We never, she, she sent us away to boarding school. We, I went away. Who's we now? How many? My, I, there was my, two brothers and a sister. My sister went to Milford. My brother went to Ross Gray. I went to Loretto Cavill. We were thrown out of the kitchen. And another brother of mine, well, he was more mature, so he went to Mary's and Roth Mines. And they're all in their 50s and 60s now. She overeducated the women, myself and my sister, completely overeducated us. And she said, the boys will be fine at sport. Really? That was her attitude. Really? Now, she was, she was really extraordinary, but she'd never stopped. She was a feminist in the, every sense of it, with the four of us under 10. She traveled the world. She lectured. She was the first person to give the, the lecture on the, um, the, the power of the spoken word to the Cistercians when they broke their vow of silence in 1965. She lectured in the Deep South in, in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, in 1965 on the power of the spoken word. And she was, it was she who introduced me to Negro spiritual poetry, to all the great poets, Vachel Lindsay, Carl Sandburg, Maya Angelou. She came back in the 60s with all of that That's to me. She was really yeah. something. She adjudicated at all the festivals and people who not made it, but went into the art, she spotted them at nine. So she must have coloured entirely your view of, edu of general education. Yes. I mean, and gave me a love for it and gave me a love for the arts as being the heartbeat of who we really are and gave me a love for voice and for expression in, in a natural way. And because so much of our world is so visual that, you know, the radio and the spoken word and conversation mm. like we're having, you know, communication meant so much to me at even such a young age. And the, spoke, the speaking of poetry, it kind of gave me a sense of vocabulary that I could get, find my way, the route around words to try and explain myself, you know, to so that people would understand what I was trying to say. And that I was trying to say it in a melodic way. Like she really was, the more I see her now aging and the aging process, her world that she's left behind. And it was a gift to others. It was a major yeah. vocation. It was not, it was did never to do with her when, own mirror. When you were growing up, did you see it as a gift you were being given or did you find it tedious? No, I saw it as she was a gift to everybody else. What happens, and it was so generous, and her passion for her work and for young people and for adults and for her plays and poetry and her dramas and her musicals was so huge that it went on on a Saturday and a Sunday, Christmas Day, New Year's Day. We just accepted it that you didn't have mummy at home. There was no sitting down with mammy or watching. It was like a vocation. Them. Oh, totally. We just accepted it. So there was a loss, a family loss in one way. I mean, if I was being truthful, there was a major family loss. We didn't really do things together. Once a year, she'd appear in Mayo, you know, and find out where we had we gone mad because we went, we would go down to my and grandmother. And was your father? Well, that's a very interesting one. <laughs> I mean, he was very clever and he was a great storyteller and he was great fun, but he kind of gave up. What you know, did he, he do? What was he? Well, he was in the Foxford Woolen Mills okay. and then he was, he married like he was in his late 30s when he married and um, he kind of, and then he worked here in Dublin for an oil company and that and, and then he kind of retired and he really, he was kind of, I mean, not silenced by it, but she powered on. She powered on like a tank, like Rommel's tank in the desert, you know. <laughs> Try and stop me. Try and stop me. And we all watched. I, I, well, I learned from it, but I don't know whether Daddy would have been probably felt... I mean, if I was being realistic, there would have been a loneliness about that. I mean, you, you, you don't mm. do... I see this with politicians, you know, wives at home, or I see it with doctors. I see it with, 
You see it with anybody who's got a huge career. Somebody suffers. Mm. There is a moment where people do suffer. The other partner suffers. And right. he did suffer. <clears throat> that he did suffer. I'm interested in your... You, you. One of the things you did was teach radio. Yes. Uh, I know how keen you are on speech. Yeah. Funny enough, I, poor my dear friend Gay, and I know he, yeah. you were a dear friend of yes, Gay's as yes. well. I loved him. I knew him for years. Ah, he was a lovely years. man, wasn't he? Yeah. <clears throat> but Gay used to rail against yes. Uh, yes. some of the, the use of words, misuse, abuse of words yes. on the air. And he hated the soft Irish tea, right, Dis- good night, yeah. it, it. He hated that, yeah. but and then he he would he would hear somebody on the news call, saying the police are looking into it. The police are looking into it. He hated that, and then here's the news. <clears throat> He'd go crazy, you know. I mean, you'd, we'd meet him for a meal after. He said, "Did you hear that person on the, mm. there?" And it's the, yes. the here is the news yes. or the sports news. Um, Where they strangulate the vowels. There's no vowel, you know. There's only news. So there's only n s. Noose, you mm. know, and the, so the vowel is, is, is strangulated. He's right. And there's also the lack of melody. When people are talking in a kind of a, a pitch that you're, you're, you're running, for, running for cover, you know, if there's no sense of melody or they are pronouncing the wrong word in the sentence yeah. and you don't really know what they are talking about, there's no sense of what's the word I should be actually accentuating here. So when you're teaching radio... Tell me about what do you Well, do? I, I, I trained with the BBC and I really, I, tra- I trained in radio drama and, I, and in, ra- in all aspects, but mostly in vo- uh, what you'd call colour radio. It wasn't political radio and wasn't radio presentation and it wasn't teaching people how to be good presenters. That, that wasn't what I was doing. I was really introducing them to the world of sound and, uh, and how sound works and, um, and natural sound, electronic sound, um, spatial sound and, and language and how you can make one word and four other sentences into a story. Like a lot of people think when they think of radio, it's politics and somebody interviewing somebody else. It's a lot more than that. It's how do you put music together with a poem or how do you put a, how do you introduce something? How do you say something in a way that'll put, that'll create the mood and getting them to listen to plays, listen to poetry, listen to very good interviews. So it was really an introduction because an awful lot of the students didn't go on to work in radio. Some did. But the university's job was not to make radio presenters out of them. And that was sometimes, people thought that, but that was why they were there. No, they weren't. They were there to learn aspects of communication. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, one of the major parts of it too was the BBC used to do a big, huge sound library and the use of maybe one sound like, like, if that started a programme, what do you think might happen next? You know, the, the imagination of your ear, like bringing the life, life to your ear. It was really about that kind of introduction. Some of them went on to write very well for the ear, which is very different to writing for the eye. Most politicians would get up to speak, write big, huge, long, boring speeches where we're all injecting ourselves yeah. or hoping that we'll pass out because they've written it for the eye and not the ear. Now, that's an art form, that to learn that. Yeah. They, to learn, really, the use of language. They, to learn, as I say, sound library. They, to learn putting an idea together, maybe making a one-minute ad. Yes. How would you do that? 
You know, so a lot of people thought they were learning to be radio presenters. Not at all. That's no. a talent. And you don't necessarily come from a university But for there's that. also making a speech, if you're making yes. a speech. And do you remember there was the golden rule about making a speech, or was it a golden yes. rule? I, the one I always heard was, tell them what you're going to say, say it, and tell them what you said. And I can see the logic in that, because yeah. it people then know exactly where they are listening to what you're saying. Yeah. But of course you have to be concise and of course you have to have mm. your points of interest and also you're going to try and be amusing somewhere in there to break the monotony. Yes, I, you're right. I always think that a speech is rather like an affair. Have you had many No, of no, those? but it should be short. Relevant and interesting. Now, mine are usually relevant. relevant and yeah, interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Whereas I often think that my, my speeches are long, irrelevant, and very difficult to get out of. <laughs> and terribly you know, boring. Yes. Yeah, yeah, one, yeah, it's one thing to start it, it's another to finish yeah, it. Um, but there is a moment about a speech where it has to be alive, interesting, creative. You know, I mean, all these rules and regulations go out the window if you're boring. You could be... Yeah. You know, you really have to be interesting and maybe have an angle and, 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 and let the, the audience know what, you're, the, the, what they want to hear, not what you want to tell them. What would they like to hear? And the truth, because you don't need any education to know when somebody's not telling you the truth or their voice is false. Yes. You know immediately. Yeah. Instinct can tell you. Or when you're not able to connect. I think it's, um, it's an art form and you also need a vocabulary, because if I hear the word fantastic, fantastic, absolutely, yes. yeah, and stunning, once more. And Trump is one of these people who has a very limited vocabulary. <laughs> well, yeah. I like some of and them. I like that greatly. <laughs> <laughs> greatly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like the yeah. British, the British royal family. It's an extraordinarily wonderful affair, you know. And it's always <laughs> ILYs, you know, always the adverb ILY. But I think you know, maybe Roger's thesaurus and look up, a, look up a few words and try. Yes. To, except the BBC taught me a long time ago. You will never use a word you're not used to in the right context, and it won't sound right. Never use words you're not used to, because you'll 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 give them the wrong tone or yes. the wrong melody, and the audience will know it's a they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Now here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone designed specifically for an older person. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. At Doro, they are dedicated to helping seniors live a better life without compromise. Doro helped make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. After all, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, kindly provided by Doro, is to go to the website www.seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. To see the full range of Doro phones, visit www.doro.com. 
The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Dorophones, making technology easy for all. Being future ready, it's a powerful feeling. Like being poised to click at 8.59 and bagging tickets to the gig that sold out in 30 seconds. Got them. Feel powerful about your future. Talk to a financial broker about a pension powered by Zurich or visit Zurich.ie. Zurich Life Insurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on Expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport or visit the home of the Titanic. Adventure awaits. And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. Um, your personal life. Do you mind awfully if no, I delve a little into your personal not at life? All. Um, you have a son. I do, yes. Luke. Luke. Age now. Oh, God, I hate saying it because I think he's still nine. Oh, um, yeah. He's 31. <laughs> yeah. And I. But he had, thinks like a nine year old. You think, oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm and joking. I had him in the 80s. I got pregnant in the 80s when there were Flitter and Joanna Hayes down the road. Um, I'm a single parent. And, and w- w- did you stay? Were you long with the well, man? Well, I, I was only a year and he, he left. Um, it was, uh, he left? He left. He, he left. After Luke was... He was born. Luke was one and a half and he left. And did he leave belligerently? Um... He left unhappily. He left me with a lot of unhappiness, and oh. but, and I never. I thought I would never get over it. I thought this will never end. This will just never end. And I had a beautiful son. I couldn't understand it because it was in my third. It was in my early thirties, and I had learned to be responsible. You know, I, I couldn't understand it. But anyway, he left and um, he didn't come back. What were your circumstances at the time? Well, I was a young lecturer in Carysfort, mm. in the great Carysfort Teacher Training College with the outstanding Seamus Heaney. And I love saying that because he became a really great friend of mine and it was such a privilege to be around him. Yeah. And he loved the drama and all the things I was doing because I was lecturing in drama at the time. I'd kind of taken up my mother's career and thence to DCU. But... You know, I was very much on my own and I lost a lot in the sense of houses and you lose things. You lose not just the partner and the person you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with, but you lose houses. And it has happened to half the country. And I thought it would never pass the melancholia and the awfulness. And you lose trust and the loneliness. loneliness. And I was on my own and there wasn't a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. But I had a job and it's the one thing that kept me going. And a good job and I love my job. My son is now 31. He's a specialist registrar in urology, neurology in um, the Matter Hospital. And I couldn't be prouder of him. So I think his father, who I loved and adored, and I could never say anything bad about him, who went on to have his own life, is fine, and I wish him luck, because I, I got the prize, really. In the end, yes. I got the great prize. I never married yet, as a student said to me once. He said, isn't it a wonder you never married? <laughs> I think he lost the head one day, and I said, yet, as he was going out the door. But I, I never really, tr- I didn't have a lot of trust after that, you know. I met lots of guys and I loved lots of guys, but I never married. I didn't want to say, I just couldn't go through that broke, break in trust. 
ever um, again. At this stage of your life... Would it, I like to marry? Yes. Am I accommodating? <laughs> yes. Am I available? Yes. Well, at this stage of your life, it's, it's a, I mean, there is... It's very interesting that you have effectively led a single life. Very much so. And um, at this stage of your life, do you mind if I say you're in your 60s? Yes. You're in your... You 60s. Do, I'm in you my do 60s. mind. Not at all. <laughs> okay, but anyway, so at that at this stage of your life, have you missed the companionship? I, I'm, I, I don't want to be prying into your, into your personal life, but have you, have you missed having a companion on a permanent yeah. or a semi-permanent basis? I've had a great life? career. And yeah. um, between Carries Forge, DCU, RTE, radio and teaching... Yes, because everybody needs somebody to kind of bounce off, you know, and you're there looking in the mirror and you're making the decision based on the, the, the scrambled egg, you know, you're on your own. Um, yes, I, I, I would have missed that. I would have missed somebody on your team because I never treated my son as if he was on my team. He was never my friend. He was my son. I didn't cross that barrier. I'm a great believer in that parents should have barriers with children and I never call, he never called me Mary Louise. He called me mum. Mm. You know, I didn't cross those barriers at all. And those barriers remain. Mm. I was, maybe I was very conscious of that. And that I wouldn't make him into the friend telling him my big problems yeah, that, too. That, that didn't happen, happen at all. It didn't happen at all. I have very good female friends and very good male friends. And I maybe I'm a feminist and I didn't know it because mummy was one. And, you know, I never, I wasn't a protest politician but I was protesting in my own way, in the way I was living my own life, kind of. I lived a very single, um, independent life. And there are huge prices to pay for that. Uh, well, touch would be one, affection would be another, um, companionship is another, somebody to walk with and shoot the breeze, man, and be on your team and, and give you a bit of advice, come home and say, well, you organise mm. yourself and don't be worrying about that. So you could sit down and not have your head in your hands for the evening. Who you would know? you talk to? I mean, I, I would imagine oh, you have, have a hugely wide circle no, of friends. No, no, I don't. No, I don't. Because that's another thing about being single. You're number nine or you're number 13. Or yep. You're on, at, the, at the, um, the wedding on your own and you have nobody to stand by besides saying, God, God, when will we, when will we get the food? You know, that you're in a group and then you're a threat to other people or that you're being nice all the time and not yourself. Be and because because you have an engaging personality <laughs> and you're a good-looking woman. Extremely attractive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Well, you go you way would, out No, that. you would have been seen as somewhat threatening to some women or men. Yeah, except that you, knowing me, my, you'd, I, that wouldn't be. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, I know feature that. in the back of my head. Yeah, but I do. There is a moment where there is a loneliness of the long-distance runner. Yeah. You know, there is that moment there. And I don't... I don't cower away from that. It is true. And my mother even says to me, have you met somebody nice? She's been saying that for the last 40 years. And um, I say, no, but you should. And I said, oh, mommy, it's a bit late. It's never too late. <laughs> Did you ever try the dating? Did no, you ever do no, the dating no, system? No, 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 no. I don't know. Uh, well, maybe people would so know you. so hard to do, yeah. Sometimes people would know you, you know, yeah. and they'd... You'd be more ridiculed. You need to be more anonymous for that, yeah. you know. I know I couldn't do that. And I watch people on the dating games on the television and I, I sometimes hide down behind the couch yeah. with the state. <laughs> it's like a fellow like, uh, years ago, I remember in a pub telling me that I never liked you anyway and my wife hates you. <laughs> You know, so you go on a date and suddenly you meet the, the wife. <laughs> you know? 
Jesus is your man. You couldn't do it. What is that barrage no, of enemies coming in the door? Listen, tell, just to talk about, um, you mentioned Foxford earlier on, and nowadays, of course, with the free travel, you can hop on a bus yeah. and go over yes. to Foxford for nothing. Yes, it's marvellous. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, but if you do go over there, um, do, you, do you go over and meet the people of your childhood when you go over there? Mm. Do you revisit the places of memory? Oh. Maybe the houses where people yeah. you loved or used to socialise yes. with, do you do It's you very do interesting that? you should ask that question because when you think of, you know, I, I, I have free travel now, I hate saying that <laughs> because I remember when Daddy got free travel, I said, Jesus, he's as old as Methuselah. <laughs> yeah, and right. here's the visual aid, <laughs> the new visual aid coming with the free yeah. travel. But with the expressway and with, um, you know, the Lewis and the Dart. It's and fantastic. You hop on and hop off. You're not looking I for was, the I was only thinking recently about what are the, what are the joys of getting older. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the only one I can think of is the free travel. The free. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But anyway, you know, yeah. it's interesting you should say that because last year I was at, uh, two years ago I was down in Foxford at the Foxford Festival and I won a boat. Now it's 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 an angler's boat, a fisherman's boat, a twenty foot. You won it. I won it. Jed was in the raffle and I said I'm going to win that and I did win it. So we were putting um, an outboard engine on it and kind of shoulders on this, that, and the other. But anyway, during the summer last summer, six or ten women, we all went out on this boat. A guy called Kieran Connolly brought us out. What they called from from pontoon in County Mayo um, out to Glass Island which was an island years ago that had a small monastery on it and they used to say masses on it and that well, and we went out on the boat with a picnic where we had everything from Italian wine to cheeses to breads to jams to chocolate you think we were going away for the rest of our lives and we <laughs> you were, we were emigrating to Glass Island we were only going about yeah. half a mile out <laughs> yeah. on the boat in the choppy beautiful beautiful Loch Conn waters um uh, it was just, and we thought, we, 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 the, the women sat out there, divorced, separated, married, single. Ah, oh, stop. Women I had been reared with, I had danced with. Women who knew everything about you because they knew your yeah. mother, father, grandfather, uncles, yeah. aunts, and they had all, there was nothing you could leave or be, be you know, false about. Wonderful women. And we sat out there and we talked about dancing in pontoon and men and fellas and uptown where we went and standing at the corners and going here and cars to Castle Bar and cars to here and da- Oh, stop it. Fantastic. So you are right, and we do that quite regularly, and we meet in each other's houses, and we all have our own lives. But when you ring or when you meet these women, that I, you are right back in a moment yeah. of where you were. You would have There's gone to no, school with them, things yes, like that. Yes, yeah. well, maybe not, but I would have spent my youth with them and yes. known them, and my, my people as they You're, say, would people. have known their people. Yes, that's right. Our tribe. Yeah. They're our tribe. Who are the... There were a, a, a group of older women that you used to know when you were younger. Oh, there was a wonderful... My, my granddad's known as the Dollies. The Dollies. And the Dollies lived up the top of the town. And they were Annie, Katie, Lizzie and Mary. And two of them had been governesses in America <clears throat> in, the, in the 20s and 30s. And were exiled to America, educated, but went as governesses in the great houses of Chicago and came back with that artifice, but came back as double exiles. 
because they weren't known in the town and went back to live at the top of the town in the bungalow with their other two sisters and one by one then died. And I knew when I was a child, meeting them at lunchtime and going up to see the dollies, there's something wrong here about the lives of these women. I didn't know sociologically or psychologically what it was, but I knew there was something amiss that you could be exiled out of your place and then an exile, a double exile when you came Mm. back because nobody knew you. Um, but they were very influential on me. It's, it's only when you look back on your life you realise, isn't it, that yeah. you, as End O'Brien said, we are our memories. You never. It's only when you look back that you realise, my God, that had such an influence on me. My God, didn't that give me such fortitude? Or didn't that really teach me how to react yes. to that situations? So I loved them. They were known as the Dollies because they were, and they wore what they call, fellas at the corner would say, the Dollies were down at mass wearing lip paint. Wearing lip paint. Lipstick. Lip paint. Lip paint. <laughs> because right? they had red lipstick ah, yeah. from America. <laughs> Oh. You know, and nice, nice tight coats and hats with a little bit of fur on the side, neat, beautifully dressed. Oh, but ladies, ladies, absolute. I mean, they were my grandfather's sisters. So the, the town had that kind of whole raft of age, you know, right down to the one-year-old from the, the dollies at the yes. time. You know? So you, unlike an estate that I live in now, you don't get that raft of people. You don't get yeah. that connection, you know. And we were cousins and half-cousins and out-cousins and somebody from married from out the town and people in. Like there was, the town for me was the universe. And McGahern, I, I used to love McGahern's work because he said that, that the the, the local, the the town, the house, the bedroom is the universe. Yeah. We all think it's yeah. out there in the yeah. big world. No, but it's he showed, not. he showed that in didn't his writings, he? didn't he? Didn't he? You know, that, the last the, the one, local all that, the local, everything is about the universe. The, the parish. And everything in the parish mm. was universe. Mm. And, and that was my first, I suppose, even in sound, listening to people talking at the mark mm. and the fair days and the chapel. It was my introduction to sound. Can I ask you this? Is your, look at the vibrancy the, of you and, and your interest in so many things. Mm. Does retirement cross your mind? Okay, you're in your middle to late 60s. Does retirement cross your mind? What's terrible? <laughs> terrible. The idea. It does, because it's crossing my mind, because the Senate, I'll be finishing in the Senate now in the next two months, three months. Um, there'll be a new Senate. Um, I'm not standing for the Senate. Maybe I didn't have the courage. Maybe I felt that Enda had, Enda Kenny had gifted me, affirmed me, and mm-hmm. gifted me a place in the Senate and repeated it. And I... Hope I did it justice while I was there, in, in, because you can't do it in everything, but in certain areas. So I don't know. I'm going to have to think very long and hard as to what I'm going to do, because I think my <coughs> I would be quite mentally unstable if I wasn't busy. <coughs> yeah. And I mean it in the sense yeah. that you spend too much time thinking about yourself, you know, and in yeah. the mirror as opposed to kind of get on with it. So it, it was, I wrote a book last year called Irish Working Lives. I was it, going to ask you about yeah, that, yeah. And it, 
it, it was about 14 people that I picked out of all the people I'd met in projects and organizations with RTE. But it was only really in getting the best out of them that I got the best out of myself. You know, I really felt really? that it had nothing to do with me, really. I'm not mentioned in the book at all, except these are the people. They were extraordinary what people. Kind of, what kind of jobs were they working on? Um, they were a fisherman. They were a thatcher. They were um, a baker. They were in a Carmelite, a train driver, a bird man, an embalmer, a chiropodist, um, oh, air traffic control. Like, and they're it, alive and well. It must have been interesting talking to them. A great idea, by the way, for a book. Yes, and Eric Luke did the photographs. And it was a day, not a day in their lives. No, it was just I spent time with them to find out who they were and what they were and how their work was inextricably linked to their own breath. Mm. Like it wasn't out there and they were here. It was just inextricably linked to who they were and what they thought of Ireland, where they were in in the middle of this island, in the middle of our Mm. turmoil and changes. I mean, they were just so... I mean, one of them, one of them was Margarita Solon, who built on a creative and not a medical model the Macaulay Place in Nace for 56 people to live independently in the old Macaulay um, uh, Mercy Convent with a creative model, with its own restaurant, with its own coffee shop. She built it? Yes. What do you mean? She She went to the nuns and got the money, and they held off selling it to a big developer. And now she has 56 independent You see, these things are wonderful. You know, when you're older, you have the wisdom, you may not have the energy, but you might spot opportunities to do Mm -hmm. things that are both fulfilling for Mm -hmm. yourself and of benefit to society. Yes, and against the grain. You're saying we're not having the medical model, we are having a creative Mm. model. And if people need medical, who live there... Well, they can, they, yeah. the medical can come in. And, and, and you're sharing it then with, with the whole of the town of Nace. And if you want to go in Uptown, you want to go to McDonald's, you can. And, but you live with a village within a village is yes. where you're living, yeah. is yeah. the best way to describe it. Um, so those kind of people. Yeah. Okay, well, then retirement then is... Uh, what am I going to do? Yeah, what am I going to do? A project like that, no, something that's like fan- that. That's fantastic, is you to get involved in something like that. But you've had such a varied career. Okay, as I, I, as I think of you, you have done so much in so many different areas. Have you, have, do you see what you have done in your career? I'm not talking about your life mm-hmm. now, in your career, as a whole... Or do you see it as a fragmented entity in which you may not have realised your ambition? Or did you have, or do you have, an ambition yet to fulfil? It's a very good question. <laughs> it's a tough question. I, I would have seen what I've done so far, hopefully not fragmented, because it does, the centre does hold, that you, you come back into, well, what was it? Well, it was vocational and it was teaching. In some way, yes. it was a gift of giving and helping other people to get the best out of themselves, you know, in whether you wrote the book, whether you were teaching a young group of, of, of students in the university, or whether you were going around the country getting the best and platforming the best out of organisations and yes. peoples and projects. What would I like to do? If I was to tell you the truth about that, what I would really <laughs> like to do, I will. I would like my own late night show. Do you know something? I was about to say to you, when you were talking about your book, wouldn't that have made a very nice radio series? Yeah. 
you know, really wouldn't it? Yeah. And I, it was exactly why I asked you the question, because you, you are a, a media personality, but a, not a fully defined media That's personality, right. if you'll yeah. pardon my saying Which so. is an advantage Which times. is an advantage yeah. because you can turn your hand to so many things. Yeah. But in your own head, would you like to have had something which was literally associated totally with you and where you had control of, so, of some yeah. kind and where you were able to concentrate the, the time, the energy uh-huh. and the, the various facets of your mind. Yes, it's yes. And the control is very important and not kind of wayward control, no. like a, a creative control, because one of the things about Gay Byrne was the fact that he was the executive producer of his own show. Well, can I just mention something to you in that light? There was an, it's an interesting thing that in, at a time in RTE, RTE was unique in the broadcasting world in that it created a breed of presenter producers. You you look at people like Frank Hall and Gay mm-hmm. and me. Yes. I, I was uh, I effectively produced most of the things I did. Now I didn't they asked me to become a producer and I said I have no interest in knobs and buttons and things like mm-hmm. that. So I don't want to know about that. So no is the answer. But I exercised a hell of a lot of control over what I did. And I remember advising Ryan Tuberty when he was taking over the late late. I said, make sure you are going to give an A and an A to everything that goes up because your name is on it. Mm. It's yours. So you've got, you've got responsibilities mm. in that area. And you're quite right when you say Gay was the executive producer and boy, he ran that show. Well, um, to be fair to RTE, when I did a lot of the radio work with uh, Pat Kenny and with Sean O'Rourke, I would go out myself. Mm. They never said to me, uh, when I'd write up my notes, some of the the, the searchers would come down and say, well, we'd like you to start here. And I'd say, that's right, that's right. And, and I because I knew it was going and you'd ignore through. it completely. So I completely ignore yeah. it because I knew how to tell this Absolutely, story. Yeah. I would say, and leave it with me. Yourself. And then the senior producers after that stopped they didn't. They, didn't they just let you ask. Yeah. So that was a small aspect of control. Now yeah. you're controlled by questioning, but there, but I I was oh, controlling yeah. the story yeah. really. So you're right. I would I would like that. But I mean, maybe I'm too old. But I mean, we don't live in an age of society anymore, and so maybe that would happen. And that would be a kind of ambition of mine, and not necessarily the stars. Yes, I have met. And of course, to be fair to Nationwide, it has done it too. But it in, a, in a in a ten minutes. But your book minutes, is a perfect example. Example of and I these people what they have yeah. to say. And if you get them in an environment where they're completely at ease, yeah, they will tell you yeah. the truth and an interesting, brilliant Absolutely. truth I mean, that you, we're losing. It's all yeah, stars of stage and screen and Coronation Street, and they're boring for Ireland. Abs, and they're plugging something. And they're plugging something. They are. Um, it has been a pleasure speaking with you, as ever, and thank you so much. I would love to see you realise your ambition, oh, by the way. Right. I would love to see it happen. I think and thank be you for this opportunity, because I think Senior Times was <laughs> terrific. And it's only recently, I picked it up recently, I had a seriously read-through of the magazine, which is marvellous. So this is a great... Um, well, um, Trevor, into <laughs> greater and more vocal times too. Okay, Mary Louise O'Donnell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's all from us for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll join us again. The Senior Times podcast is produced by Conor O'Hagan and brought to you by Senior Times magazine in association with Zurich Expressway, Doro, and the Sports Surgery Clinic. 
This is Mike Murphy saying goodbye for now.